welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. This is episode number 228, and it is the conclusion of our Pack Essentials series. So this series has been running throughout the month of May on Wednesdays, and the four-part series, we've been talking about the essential gear that should be in your backpack for backcountry backpack-style hunting. We've hit everything from shelter and sleep systems to food and water and hunting gear like your kill kit and your knife and your weapon, and today we're talking about everything else. So we're hitting clothing systems, communication, navigation, first aid, personal care, and everything else that goes into our pack that we haven't covered yet in the first three episodes. Before we dive into this final discussion on this series, wanted to thank Flatland Forester for the review, and we appreciate your feedback. So send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com with your shipping address, and we'll send you some free Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry podcast swag. Listeners, if you want to enter into these giveaways, it's really simple. We just want to hear from you. You can leave a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're using that accepts reviews, and that would help us tremendously so that more folks can find this show and learn from what we're discussing. You can also email us directly to podcasts at exomountaingear.com and let us know if you have a question, a topic suggestion, or a guest suggestion for future episodes. Guys, we thank you not only for tuning in, but for being engaged and sharing all of that with us. Hope you've enjoyed this Pack Essential series. Let's wrap it up today. And we are so excited about what's to come this summer as we get closer and closer to the opening of fall seasons. Happy hunting, and thanks for tuning in. Steve, we are to the end of the Pack Essential series. Man, this is uh, four parts, but it's gone by quick. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, so there's can make it as simple or as complicated as you want it uh, as far as your gear list goes. And I always prefer just simple. And uh, but you know we've always said over the years is just um, getting into backpacking. It's just a process to to get that gear list dialed in. Everybody has you know you've got your kind of core stuff that that we're really discussing on this podcast uh, through the series, and then you just got the little things that everyone finds. They're kind of um, you know, cliff notes version of whatever, right? Like the, yeah. their ways, the, the cheat things they do or whatever to save weight or things they do to pack comforts and things like that. And that's just a, a process of uh, having a good list and, and sticking to it and then just kind of adding and taking items off the list as you use them and don't use them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, it's encouraging. Like we sat down to look at the series and kind of broke out the parts and components and really looked at it as like, Oh, that it really is simple. Um, but like you were saying, it's not necessarily where you start is with a nice streamlined, simple list. A lot of guys are going to have extras and I'll never forget Andrew Skirka saying people just tend to pack their fears and that's so true. Um, it is just a process. You know, I, I definitely didn't start out with this simple and clean of a list. Um, but over time, as you, as you said, just figure out what you personally, are comfortable with, uh, what you do and don't need. You'll just get to this point where things become really simple. Um, but yeah, up front, that learning curve is crazy. And hopefully, you know, us chatting through in the series, um, those essential things will kind of help cut that learning curve for folks. So we have, you know, we talked about, uh, shelter 
sleep systems in the first one. We talked on food, water, cooking in the second one. This past one, the third episode, we talked about everything that's hunt specific. So outside of general backpacking gear, like for hunting specifically, what do you need? And that could be kill kit, weapon maintenance, optics, that type of thing. And it really leaves us in this final episode with a, a few different categories, but some pretty quick categories to work through. Um, clothing and footwear being one of them, personal care, safety and essentials, and electronics. And again, these are categories that you know we have created. This isn't uh, written in stone, but these are kind of the, basically, if I look at my gear list, how I kind of do the headings and categorize things. And I think it's been pretty similar for you. Um, let's start with the most boring one first, Steve, and just talk about personal care. Uh, this is short and sweet and simple, but it's going to be things like TP and wet wipes, uh, toothbrush and toothpaste, any personal medications, things like that. Um, but nitty gritty, like what are you packing specifically when it comes to this personal care heading? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you basically hit all three items there. So TP and wet wipes, I used to pack both and then I just, uh, started just packing wet wipes. So buy this little, um, you know, 10 pack of wipes or whatever, and just throw a fresh thing in the pack, uh, every other trip typically, and pretty much good to go there. Uh, toothbrush and toothpaste. I don't pack either one of those. I, I pack these things called, uh, I believe Colgate makes them and they're called wisps. Um, W I S P S. Um, and they're little miniature toothbrush. Uh, they've got like bristles on one end and there's kind of, um, toothpaste, built into it almost like a gel that kind of activates when you when you put it in your mouth and it gets wet right and on the other end has a toothpick um and they, they work great i'll just throw like two in for a trip and you know reuse it once or twice it's kind of not a big deal when you're out there um and then personal medications is pretty much just i always have some tylenol some aleve uh ibuprofen something like that in the in the pack and um and then some type of sleeping pill so i've tried uh the good old standby used to just be Tylenol PM. Uh, and then the last year I tried like these melatonin gummies. Um, and those seem to work pretty good. Actually, I, I didn't quite have that morning grogginess, uh, but still seem to sleep pretty well. So I'm definitely one of those guys that struggles to sleep in the backcountry. I just don't sleep well. Other, other people I know are, you know, they lay down on their pad and they're just freaking out like a light until till the sun comes up and that's definitely not me. So I definitely need that, um, sleeping pill to kind of help, uh, get better sleep than, than obviously I would if I was at home. So I'm just like a random thought, but why do you think you don't sleep as good in the back country? Because I know for you, it's not necessarily, uh, you're not afraid of the dark anymore or any little speaking oh, right. noises. Like you've gone through different sleeping pads to find something that's comfortable. You obviously enjoy being out there. So I'm always curious cause it's kind of the same for me of like, I don't, I don't have any quote unquote issues that I like can identify to not sleeping well, but sometimes I just don't sleep well. Yeah. Purely for me, it's comfort. Yeah. Um, my, my back's, my lower back's so jacked up that, um, I just definitely don't sleep that well from a comfort perspective. That's why I went through the, the process of, you know, buying and trying tons into different sleeping pads was trying to find something that was, um, you know, high R value, tough, uh, lightweight, but still comfortable. Um, and so that's, uh, hands down the winner of that is that sea to summit comfort. Plus, unfortunately that thing's just a tank and weighs 26 ounces. Like if, if that thing was, you know, under 20 ounces, it would be an absolute no brainer to take on a trip. So, um, 
uh, yeah, I just, yeah, for me again, just comfort. So, yeah. Uh, and I have not found, uh, the ultimate solution for me personally yet. All right. Yeah. It's pretty much the same here for me. Um, wet wipes, you know, I wouldn't think I just over time have used, like you said, more and more wet wipes versus TP, but I just love being able to use them as kind of a, you know, wipe them down as a shower just for your body, especially in longer hunts. So having those as clutch, um, just for that, I still do, man, like toothbrush and toothpaste. I've done your wisps. I've stolen from you on trips, but there's something about just actually brushing my teeth that I like. So I still do that most of the time. Uh, and then medications, like you said, is really just plain Jane for me. It's a lot of what you said in ibuprofen, typically some sort of uh, sleep aid if needed. You know, I guess when it comes to medications, that crosses over into um, kind of the next category under safety and essentials. One of those things under safety and essentials would be first aid. So as we talk about personal medications, there's obviously crossover on just medical supplies, period. Um, but safety and essentials would be things like first aid, including foot or blister care. You get into things like fire starting, gear repair. Um, any sort of like emergency, you know, be it a compass, a space blanket, just those safety emergency items. Um, yeah. So again, safety and essentials is really simple for me. First aid, the medications I mentioned from there, it's just gauze, um, you know, some Luco tape, which is also for foot and blister care. Typically we'll have some other tape, uh, in other ways, like I think we talked about in the weapons one, I'll keep electrical tape wrapped around my bipod or often have some sort of tape wrapped around a trekking pole. So that could kind of fall into dual purpose with first aid. I have a tiny little pair of tweezers and then just kind of that random pack or two of like alcohol wipes. And I think like an antihistamine, but just, you know, onesies and twosies that I basically raided a first aid kit and just took random stuff um anything other specific for you for first aid steve not really i think we're gonna look very very similar yeah just your gauze band-aids uh i i'm pretty heavy on duct tape uh hands down my favorite is gorilla tape it's black stuff it's um just fantastic i've used it on everything from blisters to repairing a quiver. I mean, it literally just the stuff's bomb proof. Um, yeah. Luco tape, uh, again on the duct tape, I just wrap that around. I wrap it on my lighter. I wrap it around. I've got like a little, uh, I do have a little tiny pencil. It's like, you know, an inch long as a carpenter pencil that I just cut down and, and I wrap duct tape around that. And then, um, just random places wherever I can electrical tape around the water filter, uh, trekking poles, um, cause that tape just comes in handy. Um, I do typically have a couple zip ties too. Definitely a zip tie can help you in a pinch here or there with, uh, equipment failures. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, fire starters, just cotton balls and Vaseline gear repair. I get like, it's a duct tape, a couple zip ties, um, the tenacious tape for, for fabric stuff. I just literally have a, probably a three inch by three inch square piece of that. You know, it's great for, popping a or a, a pop sleeping pad or a ripping in a you know sleeping bag tent um then uh, i don't have like an emergency blanket don't have a compass just kind of rely on uh, gps and phone and uh yeah man and then uh, on your list here with sidearm and bear spray that's just totally situational for me just depending on where i'm at you know but in general in idaho i'm not 
uh, during archery season. I'm not packing either one of those. Um, if I was up in Alaska, I'm packing one or both. So, yeah, that's like a good example of one of those things that for me, like the, the worry of the unknown and the packing your fears was early on, on backcountry trips, especially in a newer country. I was always packing something, one of those two sidearm or bear spray, um, or at least ensured that like, you know, if it was me and a hunting buddy, one of us had one of those options with us, but more and more, it's something that I don't carry unless, like you said, you're kind of going into an area where you, there's a, just a higher probability of you needing it, you know, whether that's Alaska or, you know, brown bear country in the lower 48, that type of deal. Um, but yeah, that's, that's hit or miss for me these days, just depending on the trip, that sidearm and bear spray. Um, yeah, gear repairs, what you mentioned. I will, I basically, my first aid kits, fire starting and gear repair is all one tiny little pocket. Um, it's like a, basically a super heavy duty Ziploc, like reusable plastic Ziploc. That's, I don't know, four inches by three inches or something. And I basically have everything jammed into there, uh, whether it's first aid gear repair, et cetera. Um, on the gear repair side, I do carry just a couple tiny hex keys or Allen wrenches, um, for weapon, I have some D-loop material in there. I do have some zip ties in there. Tenacious tape, as you said, is great stuff to have. Um, we cover the Luco tape and all that. So that just, I would come up with like an all-in-one. Um, you know, one way that you could do that is something like one of our stash pockets for our packs. Um, it's not a bad idea to have basically like one stash pocket specifically for safety and essentials. Um, everything is in there that you need. Hopefully you don't have to get in there much because if you do, you're fixing a problem, be it on a weapon or on yourself. But that's just like one little you know way you could always have that pocket and have what you need, but it's out of the way. Um, just one little thing on as we were looking at like foot blister care. We've talked before about leukotape and how amazing that stuff is. Um, and it is. I mean, you can put it on. It stays in put. It's my preferred method um, to do really preventative maintenance on like foot care for hot spots and blisters. I will say though, if that you get one going, um, and you have that soft skin where a hot spot or blister started to develop, um, just be forewarned that because Luco tape does stick so good, it will stick to that soft skin and then rip it off when you remove the Luco tape. So something that I've done in the past when I haven't used Luco tape preventatively, but tried to get it to uh, treat a spot that's already developed is actually go ahead and put some gauze between the leuco tape and that hot spot, um, just so that you don't have the leuco tape pulling directly on that soft skin when you remove it. Um, you might save yourself some some pain there. So good stuff. Um, but yeah, again, safety and essentials is just one of those things. It is. It should be just essentials. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be packing for every foreseeable thing that could happen although that's the tendency in the beginning but over time you'll kind of figure out what can i get away with uh, what is really the probability of running into an issue and having some essential things that can get me through that you know one thing that always just i come back to steve as we talk about like on this topic and what ifs for a lot of the hunts the what if ultimately becomes worst case scenario what if i have to walk out of here and maybe you do um you know it, not every trip is an alaska trip not every trip's 
remote as we may talk about because in the end if you have some sort of failure of say gear some sort of health issue where you still have no mobility and it's not life-threatening but is semi-serious there's just a lot of what ifs that that problem can be solved by hiking three or four miles back to the truck so just keep that in mind as you look at gear repair and things like that of maybe the worst case scenario is i have to go back to the truck i have to fix myself or my bow or what have you and you can either get back going or, you know, just get to safety in that regard. Yeah, that, that's been my, uh, you know, it's, um, I feel confident in, in going, you know, extremely minimalist, lightweight in a lot of scenarios here uh, in Idaho in my backyard where I said it's worst case scenario, it's two hours back to the truck typically, you know. Um, it's not that big of a deal if something were to seriously malfunction where you needed to get out of there. And especially with, um, in inReach now, it, it kind of, you know, having too, too uh, in-depth of a first aid kit, you know, it, obviously it's a good idea, but it's like if it's that serious, you're pushing the in-reach button. Um, if it's minor, you're wrapping duct tape around it and hiking out, you know. Um, so it, uh, that in-reach really helps kind of just free up some of that worry for sure. One thing I don't think we hit uh, randomly is before we forget chapstick. Uh, <laughs> like important 16 stuff. bottles of chapstick <laughs> yeah. in my in my first aid kit there's literally always two in there and i try to have one in my pants pocket because i i think you're similar to me i'm one of those guys that i never ever use chapstick in my daily life i get up in the mountains and i need it like within 30 minutes so yeah 100%. Uh, i don't know what it is but something yeah. yeah and like you i always have two or three somewhere but i can only ever find one at a time for some reason <laughs> yeah. they just randomly decide when they should be accessible yeah and then, yeah, like you said, the safety and essentials um, is really like its own little, excuse me, um, the safety and essentials thing is really just its a own little bag. I have this old, I think my wife got it for me as a stocking stuff for one year. It's, it was an adventure medical kit. It's probably a little baggy that, you know, that I've obviously taken items out and added items to, and it's maybe three inches by four inches and an inch in depth, you know, um, and I never touch this, right? It's just like all these items that are in the safeties and essentials are pretty much just in that little baggie all the time. Uh, so it's not every time I'm packing a, for a trip, am I going through like, do I got band-aids, yeah. do I got go tape? I just try to, you know, uh, obviously if I'm gearing up, I try to remember, oh, last trip I used, I had a blister. My buddy had a blister and um, used up a bunch of Luco tape. So I, you know, make sure I replace those items or somebody cut their finger and you chewed up some band-aids, which I did put, stole a bunch of, um, Disney band-aids for my uh for my daughter well like some played. pink ones and stuff so I can't wait for uh, someone to borrow band-aid uh, yeah. this hunting season it's gonna be awesome <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah it's just it it should be again simple and you know when we when we talked about like the inReach too just to clarify because I can hear some people taking that to extreme we're not saying don't be prepared because you're carrying an inReach or you know, don't go to the point where you have bad blisters and now you're hitting the inReach. Un unfortunately, we shouldn't have to say anything like that. And I don't think we do with our audience, but it is funny. You know, I, I'll never forget, uh, I was talking with a ranger at the Grand Canyon. This was a few years ago. I did a rim to rim hike of the Grand Canyon and I was stopping and talking with a, a ranger there and he was talking about the the issues they've had with people trying to do um, hikes like that, like a rim to rim, but they're just not prepared either with understanding the conditions or the physical, uh, 
you know, capabilities needed to do that or what have you. And he was talking about how the devices like Spot and InReach and all that have been a blessing and allowed them to save lives, but it's been terrible because people hit that button for the stupidest of reasons. Um, and oh. so that's obviously not what we're advocating, um, but it is good reassurance to know that you do have that. You know, and we we are admittedly probably weak in the first aid department in terms of what we have. Uh, we have done podcasts that are more on the the trauma-specific side and actually talked with some wilderness medicine uh, folks about that, about those advanced um you know, like tourniquets, quick clots, combat gauze, all those things. So we'll put a link to that. It is a very good discussion um, that kind of balances out our minimalist approach and, you know, does give you things to think about as a hunter on wilderness trips that you should consider for sure. All right. Steve Electronics. It's kind of its own category. Um not because there's any single use here, but just because in my mind, I want to have good inventory of everything that is electronic, that's battery powered, that I need to kind of consider um, just in terms of planning. And this is easier than it used to be. Um, I can think of when I you know, first started doing backcountry trips, I had, you know, like at, say a handheld GPS and a headlamp and extra batteries for both of those. And then quickly realized those were on different types of batteries. Like my GPS was double A, my headlamp was triple A. And so didn't take me long to figure out this would be much better if I just consolidated and had all my electronics on one battery size. Uh, and that's even less relevant these days as more and more electronics are just charged by, you know, USB and external power banks. So this is a simpler category, even though I think we're using electronics more than ever. It's actually a simpler um, category and strategy to break down than it used to be. Um, but electronics would be anything, you know, from your phone, obviously, which is a camera and it's a GPS and it's all kinds of devices in the backcountry, um, to headlamps, communication devices such as a Garmin inReach. If you are using external navigation outside of your phone's GPS. Obviously, the spare batteries and or power bank to um, supply the juice for all those items and then the cables. Um, so for you, again, nitty gritty, kind of run down all of that uh, for you. What are you using? How are you using it? How are you recharging it? Uh, yeah, it's definitely something that um, I think basically as phones have continued to advance, they're kind of. Uh, I mean, a phone is now my GPS and my camera, unless we're specifically going out to film a hunt or capture photos, I just take my phone anymore uh, and have uh, a, um, which we just, I just found out recently was yours. Uh, one, at one point in time, uh, somebody, uh, I was going through my gearbox and I had this little phone clip thing that just screwed into the top of a tripod. And it's like this little spring-loaded clamp. And obviously you're very familiar with it because it's yours. <laughs> I think you left it with me a couple elk hunting a couple of years ago. I didn't know uh, where it went until recently. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, that's awesome. I just like literally have that little, uh, who may, I think it's like Joby makes it, those little gorilla pods. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, it's awesome. I mean, you could totally be be out there as long as you've got a tripod. You can get great field photos by yourself. Um, and, the, and the camera, I mean, a, a cell phone these days takes better, way better pictures than a good digital camera did, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So, um, and then obviously that uh, just completely use the phone for GPS. Um I'm using just to hit on that real quick. I'm using Onyx 
and Garmin Earthmates apps. Um, I use the two of them kind of uh, through experience. I know which one, um, which app I want to use uh, just for the information that I want. So I prefer to do most of my waypoint marking and things like that inside of Earthmate. I just like how it's just a little bit simpler to use. Um, and then they have Earthmate uses USGS Quad, Topo Maps, um, and then uh, Onyx has their own kind of Topo Maps, and, and they have different information on them. So again, I, I bounce back and forth between the two. But so that's my uh, GPS and camera headlamp. You know, just headlamp. Um, uh, I, you know, Black Diamond. We did a we did a headlamp review a few years ago, uh, and I actually kind of want to update that now and do another time lapse. I basically when we did this headlamp review, I I put out like I think we had I don't know, six or seven headlamps sent to us, kind of all the at the time top brands, um, and then just turned them on, turned them on high setting, and then turned a camera on and and basically took pictures every 30 seconds until the batteries completely died. It was pretty interesting to see um, marketing battery life versus real world battery battery life, and and which ones did good, and not, and um, yeah, that was that was a fun test. I'd like to redo that, but um, so headlamp, yeah, right now I've just got a black diamond. Um, revolt no uh black diamond spot spot yeah yeah and then um i typically have had i always have a backup headlamp definitely something that i've given um more to buddies than i've used myself you know where all of a sudden like gets dark and they're searching through their pack and they left their headlamp at the truck at the truck um and in the years past it's been a petzl e-light which is super light little mini headlamp that has like a um almost a wire cord that's retractable that pulls out of it. And it's been great. Um, not super powerful, but great, uh, or good enough to get the job done, you know, in a pinch. Um, when I, I just bought the newest version of the black diamond and they, I saw that they had a spot light, uh, L I T E, um, version of their, of their headlamp. And it, it was ways like, uh, I know with the batteries out and I took the headband off. So it's truly just like the the light and the battery housing the case, right? It was like 0.7 ounces or something like that. Um, so for me, it was like a no brainer to throw that in, uh, into my kind of first aid kit bag. Um, so I've just, I've actually got a true headlamp replacement. Um, so if my headlamp was ever completely faulty, um, then I just have a new one or, or if a buddy needs to borrow one, he can. So, um, that's my headlamp. As far as batteries go, the, I have always have, Basically, if my headlamp requires three AAAs, I have three spare AAAs in my in my kind of um, safety and essentials kit, and then I have one uh, rangefinder battery. The CR2 lithium batteries always have one of those. It seems like um, rangefinder battery lasts for years and years and years. But last year, it finally happened on me. Where I think we're in maybe when we were in Kodiak, um, you know, just in the middle of the hunt. Also, the rangefinder just stopped working and battery was dead. So um, definitely anything that's um, battery operated you know you and you want a replacement in there because you just never know what could happen so um as far as the charging um i guess a kind of a newer ish item to the to that list here is a battery bank so now that i am cell phone dependent and it's not like you can just throw triple a's in that and my in reach uh it has a, a built-in battery as well uh, you need a battery bank to be able to recharge those. So you can jump on Amazon and order up, um, you know, there's a, just type in, you know, whatever milliamp you want, like 5,000, 10,000. Um, and, 
just type in like 5,000 milliamp uh, battery bank and there's going to be, you know, 8 million results. Um, yeah, they're, they're awesome. You just need to, you have a, as far as figuring out how much capacity you need, you can kind of look at, look up the specs of your cell phone and it, you know, most of them are going to have say like a 2,500 milliamp battery. So if you get a 5,000 milliamp battery bank, you know, you could recharge your phone completely twice. Um, it works great. So, uh, and then just make sure you have appropriate cables for that. So I typically on a, uh, I have a, a 5,000 and a 10,000 battery bank. So the 10,000 I would pack on a trip that I was, you know, going five plus nights. And then the, the 5,000, the lighter weight one for me is just going to be that, you know, weekend trip. So, uh, and then you just want to make sure with both those devices that, you know, I've got cables in the truck and typically I'm just plugging them in on the drive up to the trailhead. Uh, so that everything's completely fully charged, kick your cell phone into, um, battery saver mode, airplane mode right away. So it's not trying to search for service and chew up, uh, chew up battery life. And, uh, yeah, for the most part, you're pretty much good. I mean, uh, um, pretty rarely on a weekend hunt, do I even need to touch the battery bank, but you, you definitely want it there, uh, as a, as a kind of worst case scenario. So, yeah. um, communication that i mean that's in reach as well as uh occasionally if we're doing a group hunt we'll have radios to kind of check in with each other i mean we had them when we were up in alaska last year to to uh because we were obviously hunting in groups and splitting up and just be able to talk throughout the day and check in and see what the other guys are seeing things like that um but that's pretty rare that we pack radios you know most hunts are uh solo or just like you know a hunting partner with you and you're not really splitting up uh, at least in, in my scenario so mm-hmm. um Man, I don't think I'm missing anything else off that list there. Um, that char- like I said, charging cables with the with the power bank, battery banks. Uh, make sure you got the appropriate ones. The my 10,000 milliamp one I have actually has a um, an iPhone and a micro USB cable built into it, which is awesome. Um, that way you just you can't even forget the cables. You can't lose them while you're out there in the field. That's definitely something that's kind of annoying. Um, is having those little cables. You know, I try to uh tape wrap electrical tape around them and kind of tie it to the battery bank that way they're always there but definitely something that can uh you can lose and then you're sol so yeah yeah the phones are you know when it's totally different than day-to-day life in terms of battery life um when you get out there and you put in airplane mode and you're not using it constantly the the battery life's impressive it's going to depend on your level of use and even how old your battery is but for me personally i'd say on average Man, I don't even touch a battery bank for my phone, but every three to four days. Um, like you said, if you're doing a long weekend hunt, probably don't even use my battery bank. Even on a week-long hunt, a lot of times I'll just kind of do a charge midway through. Um, th- there's so many variables to that, though. You know, if you're if you're dropping tracks constantly and have it in tracking mode, it's going to eat up life. But for me, just for photos, like checking Onyx or uh, Garmin when I need to, the battery life's really impressive there. Um, my gear's pretty much the same in terms of what I'm carrying on electronics. Just a couple of things that came to mind to hit that um, I've been burned by is when you look at, uh, like, say, your phone and you're using that for GPS whether it's on X or something else, obviously make sure you take the time to download the maps you need offline um, and generally download a bigger radius than you think you're going to need. 
Um, you might find yourself wanting to go into new country, needing to go into new country. And so it's always good to have the maps for that bigger area than what maybe your target focus is. And then I've just, you know, I've been burned in the past by thinking I had fully downloaded maps, but had some sort of issue that when I got into the field, the maps I thought were there weren't there. And so I will, you know, before I leave for a trip, not only download the maps, but I will go ahead and while I'm in service, turn off my phone, put it in airplane mode, make sure it's not getting any data, like make sure I'm truly offline and make sure that those offline maps are functioning uh, when I am offline. So that's, you know, something to consider there. And then kind of the same thing on the the navigation, like, you know, with the Garmin or uh, communication, sorry, with the Garmin inReach, they always recommend you test that before you leave. And I do, uh, you know, just send a quick message, make sure that things are functioning before you get out in the back country and are relying on it at that point. So, you know, it's one of those things that electronics are beautiful and awesome and technology's changed the game uh, and done many helpful things, but you just want to like not put yourself in a situation where technology fails, electronics fail. And I always try to keep that footprint uh, to a minimum in terms of what I'm actually relying on for that. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I'll um, hit on with one thing I appreciate about the EarthMate app, the Garmin EarthMate app on the phone is separate from Onyx. There is no online mode. Um, so basically everything you're downloading is just, you know, you're downloading it to the phone and you can't even access the maps until it's downloaded. So, right. um, it is kind of a nice, cause I've had that happen with Onyx where I, again, I thought I had something and then I go and it's like not working. Um, so one, one good thing about EarthMate is I know once I click on an area and download it, that, uh, it's there and it's on the phone. So, yeah, that um, is nice. Yeah. Cool. So Clothing and footwear um, is kind of the final category in this whole series. Uh, We could talk about, we've talked about this a lot. We could go in depth. You know what I really wanted to focus on for this series though, is we are talking about pack essentials and really just look at clothing and footwear from, from like a systems perspective to not net. I mean, we, we can go into nitty gritty and talk about specific items we're using, Steve, but I really wanted guys to kind of see how you take some core pieces of clothing, you build a system and how simple yet versatile that system can be for such a wide range of hunting. Um, so just to kind of hit the list, obviously you're going to have boots, you're going to have socks, recommend an extra pair of socks. From there, you're just going to um, have pants, underwear, maybe some sort of base bottom or insulation bottom. And then on top, you're just going to have a base top, a mid-layer top, and an insulation top pretty much at all times. And then maybe add on rain gear to that, and then accessories like hats and gloves. But I guess, Steve, like talk about that systems idea and how those few core pieces, either independently or together, how much of your season that that simple system gets you through. Yeah, I pretty much know I said whether um whether it's scouting in July or it's late September um as long as the low isn't I'd say 25 once it gets below 25 and or we're talking lots of rain, lots of snow, I basically pack the same thing on on every trip. So that's um, like you said, it's, uh, two pairs of socks, my prana pants. I have a, uh, first light, um, wick hoodie for my base layer 
And then I have uh, their mid-layer. It used to be called the Chama hoodie. I can't remember what it's called now. And then some type of puffy jacket on top of that. And those kind of those three tops, pants and socks, I know I'm like just solid, good to go. And no matter what the weather is, uh, the temperatures are, as long as it's between 25 and 90, you know. Um, so then in my totes at the truck, uh, there's always long johns. So if uh, it's going to be colder. And there's always a rain jacket, uh, if, if I'm talking about rain and snow, uh, gaiters, and then, um, gosh, I guess that'd be it. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty simple, man. <laughs> like, uh, not a whole lot changes. I mean, when it's, when temps get below 25, I just, I add some, um, I have two different styles of long john, some super warm, some super light. So, you know, depending on the hunt uh, and how cold we're talking, I'll pack one or the other, um, I have uh, a couple different beanies, I guess, that's, uh, you know, a little bit warmer and colder one. And then uh, I, I'm a huge, 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 huge fan <laughs> of Ragwool gloves. Uh, they're just outperform anything else I've ever tested. And I, so I have some really lightweight Ragwool gloves and then I have some more like um, ones that have some thinsulate in them that I, they're still, you have good dexterity. You can use your hands. You could probably even like shoot a gun. Um, but they're, they keep my hands really warm in those, you know, really cold temps. So, um, and then I guess last year I did add the, um, those, uh, first light came out with those down, uh, mittens, which were fantastic for, you know, when it's like below 10 and you're sitting there glassing. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, that's it, man. I get, well, man, I'm rambling now. Um, <laughs> cause the new item last year was the, uh, uh, taking some type of puffy pant. So, uh, for that extreme cold and sitting there in glass. And that was a new thing for me. So the, the puffy uh, down gloves and the puffy pants, uh, both items I used for from first light last year, um, when it was, you know, five degrees and you're sitting on the hillside for four hours, trying to glass looking for bucks. Those were pretty invaluable and definitely worth the weight packing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But that was completely new to me. It's something I had not done in the past. It, historically, if it was that cold, you know, you, you could sit for an hour or two and then you'd get so cold that I'd kind of have to pack up and, I'd typically just like find somewhere I could hike higher or, you know, just hike, get moving, get the blood flowing and then sit down and glass some more, which, uh, you know, can or can't be effective, but typically you're better off just to find a good glassing point and sit there as long as you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that's, it's, it's that it's not complicated. It's a few base items. And, and I think obviously everyone has their, um, you know, some people run hot, some people run cold. And so you're just going to have to kind of figure that out for yourselves of, um, what you need for, for long johns and, and base layers and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just important to realize you don't have to have like a completely separate kit of clothing for, you know, say, as you said, whether it's preseason scouting, whether it's a September hunt or whether it's, you know, a later October hunt in the mountains, it's a lot of the same core stuff. It's just a matter of how you apply to it. And then how you modify it or add to it, you know, as things get colder, um, which is good because especially when it comes to clothing, like it, it can add up quick from a budget perspective. But if you can use the same core pieces for essentially most of the year, um, you know, you can get more more life, more value out of those pieces and just kind of adapt as necessary. Uh, it just it comes up a lot, especially as, again, uh, guys are newer, they're they're wondering, you know, do I need to pack an extra pair of pants? Do I need, you know, a coat for this and a coat for that? And it's no, 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 no. It's like, let's, let's come up with a basic, simple system that you can 
apply and layer and be smart about and then just make it work for you. Um, as you said, there's things that'll change. And if it's a late season hunt, you know, there's things you can add like puffy pants or different pairs of gloves, but the core system, even then remains and you're just building off of that foundation. Um, a random thought, uh, you know, kind of as we hit clothing and actually just got an email about this was, um, someone asking about wearing a belt and specifically wearing a belt with packs. I literally got this email right before this conversation. So when we started talking about clothing, it came up. I generally want to avoid wearing a belt if you can. I mean, that's one thing that, uh, there's a lot of things to like about the Piranha Zion, Steve, but one thing that's nice is it kind of has that little built-in cinch belt, if you will, um, that you can tighten up the pants. But, um, that's a good example because it comes up again. This guy was wearing a thick leather belt and whether it's one of our packs or somebody else's, it's just not a good idea to put things between your body and the pack's hip belt, if at all possible. So things like thicker belts, suspenders, pants with like buttons or hardware, those are just going to create pressure points and rub points when you're wearing the pack. And especially as you add weight to the pack, uh, if you do have to wear a belt, just go for something as thin and light as possible. Um, I have a belt. Uh, it's called uh, the company. I think it's the company's name is Arcade. Arcade belts. And it's just called the Arcade Adventure Belt. It's like a soft stretch webbing belt. Uh, really comfortable to wear on its own. Works great with the pack. So if you have to go with a belt, go with something like that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, man, my, my setup's pretty similar to you, Steve, in terms of those core components. And it's funny over the years I've changed, for example, like what is my mid layer? Like, is it a, a heavier weight Merino or is it, you know, more recently, for example, I've been doing something like a grid fleece. So I've basically changed what the individual component is, but the overall strategy and idea in terms of a clothing system remains the same. And that's the the big takeaway that if you're new is to look at how, how does how do these pieces of clothing make sense together and allow me to have an efficient system? And then I would just say during a hunt, think through how you're using those pieces. Um, We've talked about it before. Start cold. Like if you're hiking, start cold. Otherwise, if you're warm before you're moving, you're going to be sweating in no time. You're going to sweat through layers. You shouldn't be sweating through. Then you're going to be cold and wet because you were sweaty um, you know, start cold, hike cold, you'll be warm in no time. And by doing that, it also allows you to not always be using that extra layer, like a mid layer, for example, I can think of Steve, that hike we had, uh, in Kodiak that it was cool. It was wet. Everything was wet. If I had been wearing my mid layer when I started, it would have been wet. And then when I would have gotten to the top at the end of that hike, all my layers would have been wet. Um, but because I started hiking cool and even when it was wet, uh, just stayed in my base layer. Once I got to the top, once we started glassing, I had a chance to take that soaking wet base layer off, put on a dry layer and be warm at that point. But if I had been hiking in all those layers, um, both because of sweat and the conditions, everything would have been wet. I would have been screwed when we got to the top and we're sitting there and glassing. So it's just, think through how you're using those layers during a hunt as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, um, it's critical that you talk about the start and a hike 
um, in, a, in thin layers. And it still amazes me how many times I'm hiking or hunting with friends that, that I know do this hard. They like some people are so afraid to be a little cold, even for 10 minutes, you know, it's just uncomfortable. Um, that it, it's like, you know, guys are wearing jackets and like, you kind of want to take that off, you know, and sure enough, 200 feet, 300 feet into the climb, they're stopping, taking the jacket off, throwing it in the pack. And then they've already like kind of built up this sweat layer underneath where they're kind of wet that, um, yeah, you're way better off. Even if it's, you know, if I got a climb in front of me and it's 20 degrees, I'm going to be in my lightest weight wool layer, um, and just start hiking in that. Cause it, it's not going to take long for your body heat to get, to get you so hot that it's going to be kind of irrelevant. So, um, yeah, definitely a good tip to do. I like it, man. We could, we could dive deeper. We could, uh, go into the benefits of Merino versus synthetics and all kinds of rabbit holes, but I think there are preferences. There's different applications for different needs. And that's kind of a, just a good high level on clothing and footwear is hopefully rest of the topics here. So, man, that concludes the Pack Essentials series. Uh, as you guys, if you've been tuning into the podcast, know we're happy to answer questions. Uh, do a lot of that, especially in our Monday Minute episodes. So if you have a question about anything we covered here, or maybe something we didn't cover in the Pack Essentials series that you're wondering about, just shoot us an email to podcast at xomountaingear.com, and we'll be happy to uh, either get back to you directly via email or you know get on the list to chat through for everyone's benefit on a future Monday Minute episode. But thank you guys for tuning in. It's an exciting time, Steve. We're just coming off of the Memorial Day uh, long weekend, so it's starting to really feel like summer a little bit, starting to feel like preseason in the number of days to September, man. Getting yeah. quicker and quicker by the day. I was uh, uh, driving home, and, and I w- there's always deer kind of uh, in the foothills coming out of Boise on my way to my house. And uh, the, the hillside was completely green, and there was this bright orange. Uh, it was just a doe mule deer. But like just seeing that orange body against a green hillside, like literally like hairs on the back <laughs> of my neck it. stood up. Like I was like, <gasps> I just can't wait to kind of get back out there and start, you know, going the, looking for some bucks in July. And yeah. Man, it's going to be here sooner than we know it. So. Yep. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as I mentioned, you can email podcast at xomountgear.com. If you're enjoying the show, we'd appreciate a review in iTunes or wherever else you're listening to this. And we will talk to you soon.